Welcome to the Be Disciples podcast with your hosts, Kyle Morris and Dakota Smith. We are currently studying the book of Mark and we'll be going into chapter 13 today. But it is the week uh, of Christmas, so Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, brother. How's it going? It's been going great. We just had a really cool children's performance this past Sunday at Ottawa Bible Church. Yeah, my daughter was in it. And my son was in it. Yeah, your son was Jesus. My son was Jesus. My daughter was the angel. I think he enjoyed it a little too much. (laughs) (laughs) He did. (laughs) Uh, No, he he actually did a really good job. Mm -hmm. Uh, We doubted him, to be honest, Uh, my wife and I. He was actually not. He was the first pick to be Jesus. But we said no. Another uh, child was chosen. That child got sick. And so uh, Conrad stepped in up, Conrad. last minute. And so uh, it must have just been his thing. He he must have had to have been Jesus for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> but he did a great job. He sat still yeah. for the time he was up there and did a good job. They brought him gifts, though. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. He was, he was having fun. Yeah, he held on to that gold. He did. So he was not letting go. <laughs> My daughter, she was so cute. She was one of the angels that came and, of course, was making the pronouncement, uh, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. And um, it was so cute. She had this halo above her head, a, a big old white flowing garment. I don't know. She may have been bored at some of the points in time because she was kind of waving her arms and looked <laughs> a little bored on stage, but she sang the songs and it was just really, really cute. It was a great show. Uh, we had some wonderful women in our church lead the event and practices every Sunday night for a couple of weeks. And uh, yesterday the church was pretty packed too. Yeah, it was. It was a good time. It's just good to see people gather and uh, we got our Christmas Eve services coming up this week. And so just a good uh, good time of year, great season. Yeah. Uh, but let's let's get into Word and let's pray first. Dakota, could you pray for us? Yeah, Father, we just uh, want to give you this text, Mark chapter 13. We want to ask you, Lord, that as we embark on this whole chapter, uh, it's a juggernaut chapter, and there's many things that you've spoken to us. We do just want to be faithful with what you meant to say and uh, also to just really derive the main point. Help us uh, to look to you and to trust you and to be humbled by your word today. Give us insight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're getting really close in in the book of Mark um, to the death of Jesus and the resurrection. Yeah. And so Jesus has already come into Jerusalem. He's already been to the temple. Uh, And here we're going to pick up in chapter 13. Uh, more about things that are to come, uh, Jesus speaking of the things that are to come in the future, and we'll kind of break that down today. And we're we're excited for this passage, even though it's a tough one. It is very tough. It's very tough, and there's a lot of debate and opinions and views on this passage, but we're going to do the best that we can uh, to talk about those views and really where we land. And so I hope you just enjoy uh, this discussion, it helps you on your journey as you may get these questions when you're discipling somebody because these are some of the hardest ones. Yeah, I think the first thing we start with is just telling you in chapter 13, you're going to break this apart into three different sections. You're going to break it apart into verses 1 through 23. You're going to break it apart into verses 24 to 32. Then you're going to break it apart into verses 33 to 37. I would argue, especially between verse 23 and verse 24, there's a massive pivot that takes place here in, uh, as it pertains to interpretation. 
So let's just read a little bit of a, a time. Our main focus is going to be verses 24 onward, but as we look at verses 1 through 23, we're going to look at some major categories of things that are taking place. So Kyle, why don't I read half and then you can read half. Sounds good. Why don't you start us off? All right. Mark 13, starting in verse 1. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? And Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will mislead many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts. And you will be flogged in the synagogues and will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father is child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. The one who is on the housetop must not go down or go in to get anything out of his house. The one who is in the field must not turn back to get his coat. But woe to those who are pregnant, and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that it may not happen in the winter. For those days will be a time of tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the creation, which God created until now, and never will. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then, if anyone says to you, Behold, he is the Christ, or behold, he is there, do not believe him, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible the elect. But take heed, behold, I have told you everything in advance. Hmm. Yeah, so what are some things that we see shaping up in verses 1 through 23. Well, we certainly see that there will be uh, a time of wars. Yeah. There'll be a time of famine. There will be a time of nations rising up against nations, kingdom against kingdoms. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're going to see family members 
against each other. Uh, you know, parents against their children, children against their parents, brothers against brothers. Uh, we're going to see all kinds of, there just seems to be a lot of people against each other. Yeah. And it's going to be for Jesus's name. Yeah. Sake. And so I think there's, there's just, uh, there's a lot to, to take in. It's a, it's a big chunk of passage, but Dakota, what are kind of some of those main things that we need to see throughout this passage to get us to the next one? Yeah, well, I mean, what I'm seeing pivotally speaking would be, first of all, the disciples come to him asking questions about the temple. And Jesus gives them an answer about the temple. Really, this is where the argument comes in is because there's a number of people who would say, well, are these events, are these events taking place events that are taking place prior to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD? Are these events that are taking place after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD? Are these events that are taking place that include the destruction of the temple in 70 AD and then reach into the future? Then you look at verse 4, Jesus' response as he's talking to his disciples privately. They said, tell us, when will these things be? There's a twofold question coming. When will these things be and what? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? When will these things be? What will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? So Jesus is talking to his disciples and then he's, you know, I just jotted down the order of the events as, as you are reading. Verse 5, he speaks to the nature of false teachers, right? The first thing he says is, first of all, see to it that no one misleads you. Like when Jesus is talking about all the dark events to take place, yeah, there's a lot that's negative, there's a lot that's broken, but it's interesting that he starts with false teachers, right? Because uh, that's something that can lead your heart astray. Then he goes into verse 7, he speaks of wars, and he speaks of rumors of wars, and then he even says, but that is not yet the end. He gives another time marker. Verse 8 speaks of nationalistic problems, nation rising up against nation, uh, an elemental problem, problems in the air, there's famines. You get to verse 9, and he lists persecution. You get to verse 10. He even says, but the gospel right? The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Like the gospel has got to reach the whole world. Then you get to verses 11 through 13. He continues to talk about persecution, you know, family members betraying one another. And then you get to what I think is a very pivotal verse in verse 14. Look at it here. So he lists all of these general problems. Then you get to verse 14, but when you see the abomination of desolation, standing where it should not be. Let the reader understand. He puts that in parentheses because he's referring back to the book of Daniel, right? Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountaintops. We know that this abomination of desolation, unless you're a preterist, which you and I are not, this abomination of desolation is just not not merely some pig being sacrificed in the, the old Jerusalem temple, but the abomination of desolation is when the Antichrist takes his seat in the renewed temple in Jerusalem and he declares, declares himself to be God, right? So, so far, getting us all the way from like verse 4 to 14, what I'm actually seeing is worldwide events and then I'm seeing an event which is where the Antichrist makes himself known. 
So that's that's what I got so far. Yeah, and we see we really see when it goes from verse verse five or all the way to thirteen, you could say a lot of these things are happening. Right? Right, you we, can. We've probably seen all of it almost. I mean, I even think of the gospel going to the to all nations. Yep. I mean, this small podcast that you're listening to that has reached every continent. Mm-hmm. And we're not, you know, we're not some big theologians and popular names that have, you know, millions of downloads, but it's not very hard to get a message around the world today mm-hmm. because of the times that we live in. Exactly. Um, it, it is very easy to get something quickly to thousands of miles away in, in an instant. And so these things are, there. there's, there's signs in, in which these things are happening. There are wars. There are these things happening. I mean, they, they are here. But I think verse 14 really points to something important, like you pointed out. It points to the Antichrist, which we have not seen mm-hmm. up to this point. Yeah, John says in 1 John, uh, beloved, you know that Antichrist is coming and is already here, right? But it's he's speaking in the context of the spirit of the Antichrist, right? The spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. But then you have the capital A Antichrist, <laughs> right? The one who will perform these functions and these actions, as Paul describes in First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, I I believe Peter speaks of it as well in Second Peter chapter three, at least the events, yeah, the events of the end times, eschatologically speaking. But one thing that we have not seen is a worldwide ruler come on to the scene, and everybody love, and he demands that there be a mark given to everyone who follows uh, him with allegiance. Right? That's Revelation chapter thirteen. We have not seen this event take place. So what I'm arguing in Mark chapter 13 is that if you go and you just consider verses 1 through 13, you almost have this sense that Jesus is speaking in particular about the church age, right? The destruction of the temple would have taken place in 70 AD, but that would have been after Pentecost. I believe that the church began, I'm not a covenant theologian, I'm a dispensationalist. I believe the church began at Pentecost. I believe there's a difference between the church and Israel. Therefore, Pentecost took place before 70 AD. So I think the events that Jesus is speaking about is general chaotic events that will take place in the world before the Antichrist comes for the tribulation. What do you think? Yeah, and we also, I think, helping with time, we see in verse 19, it says, for those days will be a time of tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of creation, which God created until now and never will. I think this helps clarify He's talking time about frame, the, yeah. the tribulation. So uh, Jesus looked beyond the destruction of Jerusalem yes. to a much greater tribulation yep. is what we're looking at here. So, you know, it helps us with a timeline. It helps us understand these things that are happening. We got to remember Jesus is talking to some of his disciples privately, mm-hmm. and they're asking these questions, and they really want to know. And Jesus is trying to get them to look beyond yep. something into the future, something that's not going to happen right then and there, because they are going to see the death of Jesus. They are going to see the resurrection of Jesus. Some of them will see the destruction of a temple. Uh, and the destruction of Jerusalem. And so he wants them to look beyond all of that. And really what he's talking about is the tribulation in the future. 
Yeah, and if you notice this in verse 19, for those days, and this is after he's spoken about the abomination of desolation, for those days will be a time of tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never will. And you noted that just a moment ago. But then look in verse 20, unless the Lord had shortened those days, okay, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Now, the argument of who the elect could be, whether that's Israel, whether that's uh, the church still on earth during the tribulation, whether that be believers who have become believers in the tribulation, uh, that's we're going to put that aside just for now. But the fact that he says that he shortens those days, to me, that's even more evidence that these days have not yet happened. Like, yeah. you know, these days are very short. And if he didn't shorten them, then even the elect would be deceived. I mean, uh, no life would have been saved. So I think this is still a time to come. We've never seen anything quite like that just yet. No, we haven't. No, we haven't at all. Which brings us to really the next focus of verses uh, 24 to 32. So I'm going to read it, and then we'll just jump in. We'll, I mean, this is a very sobering passage, is it not? It is. It causes you to really think. It causes you to critically think. It causes you to investigate. Like, wow, Jesus spoke about all these things in advance. So verse 24, but in those days, after that tribulation, earlier you and I had a discussion that tribulation, is it general tribulation, specific tribulation? I'm seeing now, after that tribulation, Jesus is referring to what he just spoke about. Right, and now he's moving forward. Uh Uh-huh. But in those days... After that tribulation, maybe you could even say like at the end of the tribulation period, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see, I'm assuming anybody on earth at that time, then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory and when... And then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds and from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. He gives an example. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Like there's there's something happening in the tree to where you know the season to anticipate. Verse 29, even so, you too, When you see these things happening, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Verse 30 is a big verse. (laughs) Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Kind of interesting. 24 to 32. Yeah, we really see the climax of this passage, uh, or the Olivet Discourse, uh, you could call it. And he's talking about this second coming of himself, of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so these these verses, again, do not describe... Jerusalem's destruction 
in 70 AD. Mm-hmm. Okay, but this is a future tribulation, the tribulation, the very end of it. Right. And so that's that's where we're 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 starting in verse 24, uh, and that that is really where the pivotal argument is the time in which this is taking place. Right. But because of what the text says, that's where we are going to go as we jump into this, and so we see a description of what it's going to look like when this is happening Mm -hmm. here. And this is something we have not seen. So if we look back at the passage we did read in 1 through 22, we see some of the things that we are seeing today. Mm -hmm. Here we're going to see something that has never been seen. Yeah, you're definitely not seeing the powers fall from the sky. Right. So this has to be in the future because it hasn't happened yet. And so, and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Uh, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a clouds of great power and glory. This this power and glory in these clouds we have not seen since we see God in the Old Testament, especially on Mount Sinai, and these clouds surrounding the top of it, uh, this same glory that will take place. And then he will send these angels to gather the elect from the four winds, from the farthest ends of the earth to the farthest ends of heaven. So there will be a gathering of all the saints that are on earth and heaven over it. in heaven they will all be coming together with Jesus yeah and so we're going to actively see angels going and getting people right remember angels are messengers so the angels must be going out and telling people Jesus is here Jesus is here come and he's gathering them all together and so we see Jesus coming. We have not seen the scene before. This has not happened in human history. Yeah, so never. we know that this has to be happening in the future, his second coming that will be coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on its way. Right. You know, verse 30, you and I kind of studied this uh, a little bit before we prepared to record the episode. Truly I say to you, this generation... This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. There's a number of views concerning who this generation is. Do you want to give us a a survey of those views? And let's have a brief discussion, just so people understand, interpretively speaking. Again, we're trying to give you a little bit of help so that you can work through this passage if you're having a conversation to disciple others. There's a lot of nuances here you've got to be aware of. Yeah, and so... Uh, actually, we looked at Constable's notes, which gave us the most amount of views. Yeah, what's Thomas Constable say? Yeah, so he's got five views. The first one is that Jesus may have meant that the fulfillment of all these things would begin in the generation of his present disciples, but complete fulfillment would not come until later. Mm-hmm. And so some things would happen during those who he's talking to, right? and then the rest would, would be completed later. A second view is that Jesus was referring to the specific generation in the future who would observe the signs he just spoke about. Right. So a future generation would see these things. Yeah. And that's what generation Whatever, is. Whenever they see them, yeah. that's the generation he's talking about. Right. Uh, and then a third view is that Jesus meant his contemporaries were those who would see all of these things coming to pass. A fourth view is that a that by generation, Jesus meant the entire Jewish race. A fifth view is that Jesus meant the type of Jews that he contended with during his last Tuesday before his crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the five views that Constable gives us. So what are the strengths and the weaknesses of those five? Yeah, so the first one, uh, 
here where it says the fulfillment of all these things would begin in the generation of the present disciples and completed later. Um, I think, you know, we do see the destruction of the temple happen in their time period. And so there is some things that have been mentioned in this passage that have taken place. Yeah. Right. And there's wars and I mean, they're controlled by Rome. Israel is all, knows all about wars. So yeah. these things have occurred so we can see some of that. And then the rest of this that hasn't been seen will be fulfilled later. Mm-hmm. So that's a possible one. We see evidence of both of those things in there. Um, a second view is that Jesus is referring to the specific generation in the future, which would observe these signs we just spoke about. Now, based off of what we just said while studying this passage, we're talking about the future in this passage. Right. We're not talking about the current time, which you can argue there is some of that current time in verses 1 through 22 that have happened, and then the destruction of the temple. But now we're talking about a future generation, a future people, and not just believers, but all people that will see these signs that have not occurred. Yeah, and I, I think I'm okay with view number one or view number two. I'm not sure yet where I land as to which one I think is more probable because I see them both working. Uh, there's no doubt about it. 70 AD, the destruction of the temple, that came, that happened, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. The disciples were absolutely persecuted and they were flogged and they were you know they were they were put before rulers and courts and, and like it says in verse 9 one thing that I was picking up and in, in the first verses Jesus uses like verse 5 all the way to oh I don't know let's just go to verse 13 he uses you 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 as he's talking to the disciples he stops using the word you from verse 14 onward yeah he doesn't speak about the disciples even existing excuse me on earth during the time period of the tribulation, notice what he says from verse 14 all the way to 23, like verse 15, the one who is on the housetop must not go down. Um, Verse 17, but woe to those who are pregnant. Verse 18, uh, but pray that it may not happen in the winter. Um, He's not necessarily referring directly to the disciples in like verse 14 through 23, but he's giving advice and counsel about what that tribulation period will look like. So there's a part of me that's willing to accept, okay, the disciples are a part of an entire Christian era or generation which will undergo similar things as all believers up until the time of the tribulation. Yeah, and the and the generation of the disciples' time is a unique generation in which they are alive during the non-church era and the church era, mm-hmm. right? They experience Pentecost when the beginning of the church. But we're also alive in a time where the church didn't exist. Exactly. And so they're a unique generation where they they do get to see both. They do get to see a little bit of of what Jesus is talking about on both ends of it. So they see pre-Jesus and they see the destruction of the temple, which he prophesies, which actually comes true, which is important in this passage because that means if that one actually comes true— all these other ones are also going to come true. Exactly. And the disciples aren't necessarily going to see all of it, but they're going to see some of it. And that's why they're asking, when is this going to happen? And and what are the things that are going to tell us that it's going to happen? Yeah. So that's why they're a- asking these questions, because there's a lot going on. Well, and that's also why when it comes to this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. If you take this generation to be the generation of all believers up until the point of the tribulation, that would make sense, right? They will see all these things taking place. Or you could take 
this generation as referring specifically to those within the seven-year time frame, um, they will see all these things take place. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, there will be those who die individually, but Jesus is talking about an entire generation. So, or even specifically just to his return for crying out loud. But I'm okay with view number one. I'm okay with view number two. Uh, I'm not a preterist. I, I think the Bible speaks of a worldwide cataclysmic event with the flood during Noah's day. And therefore the Bible, human history has to have some sort of ending. Uh, God isn't just leaving it open-ended. It has to have some sort of culminating event where, you know, God has provided his Messiah. Satan's going to try and provide his anti instead of Messiah, his antichrist. And what I think Jesus is doing right now, look at verse 23, but take heed, behold, I have told you everything in advance. I think he goes back to referring to you here in verse 23 because he's not just speaking about the disciples, what they'll undergo. He's speaking about those who will undergo the great tribulation as well. So, yeah. And then as it pertains to Israel, we talked about this just a little bit. I don't think it's where we land, but maybe it's a possibility. Yeah, there is a view that generation means that the entire Jewish race or Israel itself will withstand until Jesus' second coming Mm -hmm. because we will see Jewish people who do not know Jesus, who do not call him Messiah, live during the tribulation, but that Israel will be around this whole entire time, which I'm okay with Israel being around the whole entire time. I think that's going to happen. I think Israel plays a pivotal role in this whole thing. Right. And so... um, I say that's okay, but is generation specifically just talking about the Jewish people? I don't think so, but I'm okay with saying that, yes, I do believe they will be around this whole time. I think Israel will be around till the uh, second coming of Christ, and and that is a, a nation that we should always be keeping a watch on because they are the center of this whole thing. Yeah, in fact, if you were to just read the whole meta narrative of the Bible from start to finish, really the whole story of the Bible is about how God wants to use Israel. You know, let's just pause for a moment. Who did God originally select? Uh, Abraham. And what did he promise to Abraham? A land, a name, a nation, a blessing, the Messiah to come forth from his lineage, right? Um, And then through that nation, they would be a light to all other nations. And then, of course, they'd produce a Messiah. But what eventually ended up happening is Israel rejected their role. Follow me in this analogy. Israel rejected their role as God's starting quarterback. So what does God do? God benches Israel and he brings in the backup quarterback, which is the Gentile church. And I suppose, you know, Jewish individuals can be a part of the church right now. Mm -hmm. But God puts in the backup quarterback because Israel was throwing too many interceptions. But in the end times, with two minutes left in the game, God is getting Israel off the bench yet again, and he will use Israel for his purposes. But they've got to be put down for a while. That's how I view this. I, By the way, this is kind of an ecclesiological uh, discussion as well. What do you believe the church is? I don't believe that the church has always been around from the Old Testament onward. I believe the definition of someone who really belongs to the church is someone who specifically believes in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ after Pentecost, right? So I I think Israel is a major player in end times events, but I think Israel is different from the church, and the church is obviously grafted in with Israel, 
God is going to use Israel and the church together collectively in his plan, but the two are different. And all of this matters, whether you believe it or not, on how you see the end times events unfolding. But we could speculate for a while. Yeah. Right? We could. So, that, so let's, <laughs> These are what our conversations look like here in the office. Yeah. So let's finish out just a couple of the verses. You know, we talked about this generation will not pass away until all these things will take place. It says heaven and earth will pass away. Yeah. And the second coming, he says, but my words will not pass away. Yeah. Jesus is talking about his divinity. Right. <laughs> that he is God. And in heaven, he doesn't mean like where he dwells or Correct. there'll be a new heavens and a new earth, but he's talking about like the universe, the galaxies, yeah. the stars. Right. Will pass away, but his words will not. Mm-hmm. He will not uh, be gone. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. We don't know when this is going to occur. Mm-hmm. Um, at this time, even he alludes to him being the son does not know, but only the father alone in this moment knows the time. And some would even say that Jesus, now that he's in a glorified state at the right hand of the father, now he does know. But as, as a man before his ascension uh, back to heaven, he didn't know at that point. Yeah. So we see Jesus answering these questions and, Hey, I'm going to, I can tell you all about what's going to happen. I can tell you what's going to happen between my death and the destruction of the temple. I can tell you what the things that are going to occur after the destruction of the temple. But I, at this very moment, Jesus did not know the time in which his second coming would take place. And I think he chose not to know. Yeah, I think so. It's not too. that he didn't have the power to know, but he chose not to. Yeah, but I do agree with you that today, Jesus, as we know him today, sitting on the throne, does know the time and the place in which this is happening. And uh, and what a glorious time that will be yeah. for his saints. So all of those verses now lead us to 33 to 37, which is really what you and I long to get to in the passage. Right, which is the the focus of today. What should we be doing now because of this answer or this, th- this answer that Jesus has given his disciples? How should we be prepared for the second coming? Yeah, and keep in mind, too, where this is placed in Mark's gospel. Mark has placed this here right before something is about to happen. Chapter 14, verse 1, talks about how the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. Mm-hmm. And that begins the rest of the narrative of Jesus' arrest and crucifixion and resurrection. So we kind of discovered this in preparing for this episode. It's unique that Mark gives a, a very short account of Jesus' resurrection in comparison to Matthew, in comparison to Luke, in comparison to John, Matthew, Luke, and John give larger resurrection accounts. Mark gives a very short one. But Mark speaks a lot about Jesus' second coming, and Jesus himself is speaking about his own second coming, which alludes to the fact that he's risen, right? Yep. So he makes more of the second coming than he does the resurrection in his personal gospel. Yeah. Which is unique. It is. And so verse 33, it says, Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. Hmm. It is like a man away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming whether in the evening, at midnight, 
or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep, what I say to you, I say to all, be on alert. How many times does Jesus say be on alert in this little passage? Yeah, a few times. (laughs) A few times. Hmm. So maybe, maybe there's something to being on alert that we need to take in here. Yeah. So we, we have this entire passage about the future. Uh, Jesus and and what's going to happen after Jesus's death and resurrection, the destruction of the temple that he prophesies, the disciples asking these questions, Jesus telling them all about things that will occur uh, during some of their time, during our time as the church, and then in the future from today that we are talking about this. And so now he ends it with this command or action that needs to take place. He says, be on alert Yeah, that you do not know when this is going to occur. So how should we as Christians respond to this idea of Jesus's second coming? Be on alert. Why, why do we need to be on alert? If I already know Jesus is coming, I already believe in Jesus Christ. I'm a follower and I'm going to keep living for him. Why do I need to be on alert? What's so urgent about this, mm-hmm. about this command? Yeah. Uh, well, First John chapter 3, I believe it's verse 3, says that we have this hope of his return, but that anyone who has this hope of his return should purify himself as he himself is pure. Second Peter chapter 3, that's the passage I was trying to find mentally earlier. Second Peter chapter 3 necessarily asks the right question. What sort of people ought we to be in godliness? And when when Jesus returns, you know, we need to be people who are found by by him in peace. I think there's much to be said about the return of Jesus and the hope of the believer, like what the believer should be looking forward to, versus the possibility of the return of Jesus and the disappointment of the believer. I think there's going to be a number of people who were believers and were waiting expectantly for Jesus to return, and they're going to be excited. There's others who aren't waiting expectantly, but are believers, and they're going to be disappointed because they'll shrink back in shame at his coming, as it says in 1 John. And then, of course, there will be those who are non-believers who are obviously don't care about his coming. In fact, they mock the fact that he's even going to come. And they will be um, not just disappointed, but severely judged. So just a few thoughts that I have just right off the bat there. Yeah, something that comes to mind when I'm talking to people, and, and specifically Christians, where people say this phrase, I can't wait till Jesus takes me home. And usually that comes with with older people, um, most of the people I talk to. I mean, I I wouldn't mind being at home with Jesus. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, Jesus tells us to do something here while we're alive on earth. He says to be alert. He doesn't say be alert for the time in which you will die. He's Mm -hmm. saying be alert for the time in which I am coming. So as a follower of Christ, our hope today, as we are looking forward as we are living life today, what gives us hope and what gives us purpose? Well, 
we know that we have been saved through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that hope has already been given to us. It has already been completed. The blood has already covered our sin. So today, and we are looking forward, what should we be living for? Well, we're living for the second coming of Christ. We're living for that hope because it has already been promised. He has kept his promises. His prophecies have been fulfilled. The death and the resurrection has already happened, and we are looking forward to his second coming. This is the focus in which a Christian should be having their eyes set upon as they walk through this life. Um, and it, and it and it's so important that we keep our focus on Jesus because we can get distracted. Remember what it said at the beginning of this passage. There's going to be false teachers right away. Don't get distracted by these people that, that say that they are me or that they represent me because they do not. You know the word. You know the truth. Do not be distracted by this. And if we're keeping our eyes set on Jesus on the second coming, anything that speaks against that second coming, anything that speaks against the things that which Jesus has said, we know that it's false and that we are not supposed to give our attention to that, but to rebuke those teachings and keep our eyes focused on Christ. So I think that's, he's saying, be alert. Know when these things are happening because you could be tricked, you could be fooled, but don't. Focus on me. Focus on my coming. The other thing that comes out of this, to be alert, I think of sharing Christ with others. Here at Ottawa Bible Church, our slogan at all times is to live sent. We don't know when Jesus is coming, just like we don't know when people are going to die. It's so important that we share the gospel with people because we don't know when these things are going to happen. We don't know the opportunity in which we are going to have uh, we act as if to, tomorrow is guaranteed a lot of the time. But be on alert because it could happen when? It could happen at midnight. Yeah. It could happen when you're sleeping. You don't know. There, you, There is going to be no warning, per se, right. in which Jesus returns. There may be signs, which he's talked about, but, we, but in the moment he returns, mm-hmm. there will be no warning. And so... Make sure that you are on alert and your eyes are focused on him and that you're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think what you're arguing for is that when we as Christians have this hope where we look forward to his coming, it's not just a matter of, oh, I got to make sure that I'm just not doing bad things when he comes back. But am I stewarding the time I've been given to participate in the ministry he's given me before he returns, can I can I prove that I'm putting my hope in Jesus's return on my weekly calendar here and now? Who are you discipling? Can you prove who you're discipling on your calendar? Where where is your ministry headed? Can you prove where your ministry is headed by your finances and your budget and your calendar? Can you logistically prove it? You know, one thing that I was doing as you were just speaking a moment ago is I I just skimmed and I went back and I found eight different references that Jesus says in these 37 verses to be on the alert, be on guard, keep on the alert, take heed, all of these warnings. What Jesus is wanting to grab our attention with is that when he returns, we ourselves need to be people who were already living for him to begin with. You know, as you're reading verses 33 to 37, I'm almost wondering if Jesus is specifically speaking about the rapture here. That's a question I've often asked in this passage. Because 32, he ends with a conversation about the tribulation, uh, the day or the hour, maybe you could say in general. 
And then 33 to 37, now he's speaking about an immediate coming, an imminent coming where like he could come back any moment. If I'm in the tribulation and I'm a Christian and I know when the Antichrist takes his seat in the temple of God, wouldn't that mean that I could at least calculate three and a half years before he returns if I knew about a literal seven-year covenant, right? So I think verses 33 to 37, he could possibly even be talking about the rapture, rapturing you up. Uh, This is not a third coming of Christ. This is you meeting him in the air. But it's possible that he's talking about that um, before the tribulation even comes about. What are you doing? That's the big question. What are you doing with the life God has given you? And are you using it for his glory before it's too late? Yeah, so as we come to a conclusion of Mark chapter 13, Uh, I want to give you guys another resource. Uh, The great thing is at Ottawa Bible Church, we are studying the book of Revelation. Uh, And really chapters 6 through 19 in the book of Revelation is an expanded version of what Jesus is talking about here in Mark chapter 13. So if you want to join us as we study the book of Revelation, you can find the sermons on YouTube. Uh, under the Ottawa Bible Church channel. So please check those out. Uh, Subscribe to the Ottawa Bible Church channel. Also subscribe to our podcast, Be Disciples Podcast, on your favorite platform, and you can continue to listen to these episodes. Please share with others as we continue to talk about the Bible, and we want to spread God's Word, and you can help us in doing that. Have a blessed day.